We're so grateful for God's mercy and all that he has been doing. And tonight we're going to uh, be doing a lesson on heaven. Amen. And I call it the dwelling place. The dwelling place. Uh, because it's where God's throne is. Our feature scriptures be from Revelation 21 verse 2. And it's when John has his vision. He says, and I saw... I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Amen. And that's going to be our theme. That is what we're looking for. That is what where we, uh, our destiny is. That's where we intend to be. Amen. So we're going to be studying a little bit on what the Bible says about heaven tonight. Amen. Now, we know that it is God's dwelling place. Uh, We're told that in many, many scriptures, and here is just one to cover that. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And in Psalm 48, verse 2, it tells us that what the location of that place is. It says, beautiful for situation or originally elevation or height. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. So God's dwelling place is heaven, and I call this lesson the dwelling place because there have been several dwelling places where God has had his representation or where he has put his his essence or his um, Shekinah glory to be. Now in the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew word for heaven is Shamayim, and you can always tell what they're talking about by the phraseology. When it's talking about the atmospheric heavens, it says just heaven. But when it's talking about God's throne room, it calls it the heavens of heavens. Amen. So we're going to be looking at that and studying a little bit about God's dwelling place. And of course, the first dwelling place where God met man was in the garden. So you could call that a temple, so to speak, because that's where you go to meet God is at the temple. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Genesis 3, 4. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the garden was the meeting place, the original temple, so to speak, where mankind, where Adam and Eve had communion with God. It was the garden was the original temple and where we communed, where Adam and Eve had daily conversations with God. It was the same place where he had built um, the tree of life. It was the same place where they Eight, where they uh, were given command to guard and look after the garden. So the garden actually, you could say, was in fact the first temple because a temple is where man meets God. The garden then was the first temple. It was the place of meeting. Amen. And we're going to look at, at heaven because wherever God is actually is where heaven is. The thief on the cross was told that today thou shalt be with me in paradise, because wherever God's presence is, that is effectively the temple. And God describes in Genesis 
a little bit about this place. It says, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. It, this river that flowed uh, from the mountain, because remember, for a river to flow, there has to be elevation. The land has got to go from high to low. So it was this river that flowed from Mount Zion. In Jeremiah, we're told that a glorious high throne for the beginning place of our sanctuary. What this is telling us is a little bit about the nature of the garden. For there to be a river to flow, it flowed from a higher place down into the garden. And that higher place was Mount Zion. God, when he designed his plan, he gave the earth to men. That's what we're told in Psalms 115 and verse 16. Even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. And as I said, this mountain that was uh, uh, in the Garden of Eden or to the east or to the west, sorry, of the Garden of Eden, because the Garden of Eden was east, was the symbolic uh, place, dwelling place of God. And in the garden was where mankind met God. It was there that they communed. Again, in um, Psalms 48, verse Two, it tells us about that. Beautiful for situation or elevation or height. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. It was this mountain that Satan originally decided he wanted to ascend to. We see that in Isaiah 14. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. What this is telling us is a, a, a symbolic reference to God's dwelling place, to heaven. The garden was located at the foot of the mount and where the river that flowed down the mountain went into the garden. Uh, now, of course, wherever God is makes that place holy. Wherever God's presence is, immediately that place becomes a place of holiness. We can see this when Moses saw the burning bush. And when he approached near to the burning bush, the voice told him to take off his shoes, take off his sandals, because the place where he was standing was now holy ground. Why? Because the presence of God was there. In Exodus 3, 4, it says, And when the Lord, Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called upon him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. God's presence, wherever God is dwelling, becomes holy ground, becomes heaven, because heaven is his throne room. Heaven is wherever God is, his presence or his Shekinah glory. And right there at the burning bush became holy or sanctified just by the mere presence of God. Now, we, we are told in the Bible a few other things about heaven, that, that um, the, the, the saints that die now go to a waiting place, waiting for the redemption of the body. They don't get a bodily re resurrection until we all do, but right now that they're in a, a waiting place. Now, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, it tells us something about that waiting place. It, it tells us where that is. Revelation 6, 9 says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, 
I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto them, and every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet a little while, little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So throughout the Bible, we're given little clues about the nature of heaven. In this clue, they were the souls that had died, the righteous souls that had been redeemed, uh, were given a waiting place under the altar. Now, that wasn't in the garden yet, but it was a, a waiting place that they were told to be. Jesus tells us, though, that on the night he was going in John chapter 14, he, t- he gave a, a little comfort sermon to his disciples where he tells them, listen, I'm going away to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be also. John 14, 2, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there he may be also. So we have many scriptures telling us about this place, heaven. Uh, Jesus in this, in this uh, description describes it a place of mansions, a place where he's going to give us a place just like himself to to live forever, a place of, of beauty, a place of grace. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. You see, our citizenship, and I'm getting ahead of myself, is not down here. Wherever we are now is just a temporary place because if you have been filled with the Spirit, you are now a citizen of heaven. You are now a citizen of heaven. In fact, that's what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, for our conversation, meaning our lifestyle and our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now we're celebrating his first coming. But we're looking forward to the day when he comes again to take us to those places, to those mansions, to that garden. Amen. For our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look For the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. In Hebrews it says here, for we, for here we, for here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. You know, they say now it's almost impossible if you didn't have a house to buy a house. The interest rates are so high. But I want to tell you that someone has already bought you a house. If you've been filled with his spirit, if you've been baptized in his name, he has told you that he's gone away to prepare a mansion and it's already bought and paid for. Amen. It's so great to know Christ. It's it's so great to have faith and know that this is not all there is. What we're living in now on this earthly kingdom is not all there is. We have many examples in scripture of the fact that this is not our home. Probably one of the, the, the ones that most people will remember is when they went into Egypt, the children of Israel, when the 70 originally went into Egypt when Joseph was the prime minister, 
uh, he gave instructions, Joseph did. Listen, this is not my home. Yes, I'm this, a citizen of, of Egypt right now. I'm even the prime minister. I'm the second in charge. But listen, when you leave this place, take my bones with you. This is not my resting place. This is not my final place of, of rest. In Hebrews uh, 11.2, it says, By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Isn't that awesome? The Bible says that those that are dead will be resurrected with a glorified body. Their bones are not going to stay here. Amen. They're going to be given a new body. Hallelujah. Genesis fifty twelve. Jacob told the same thing. And his sons did unto him according to his, as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. What this is telling us, that both Joseph and Jacob did not want to be buried except in the promised land. They did not want their bones left in Egypt or anywhere else. And this is the promise that if you're a Christian, we have a new home. We have a a final place that is actually not a place of death, but is in fact a place of resurrection. We see this in the Old Testament with both Jacob and Joseph. And that's why the scripture tells us that we're not to be so entangled with the affairs of this life because this is not our permanent home. Uh, I don't have a 10-year plan. I don't have even a five-year plan, except I want to make heaven my home. We are called to be citizens of heaven. The Bible says where our heart is, that's where our treasure will be. Um, wherever we put our heart, that's, that's where it is. And our treasure, the Bible said, should be in a heavenly place. Paul, when he's encouraging Timothy, says the following in 2 Timothy 2.1. Now therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, also who shall be able to teach others also. Now therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier." In fact, it is so easy to get entangled. And what happens is Satan uses those entanglements, the things that we are worried about, the things that we've invested in, the things that we care about to take away our peace, to trouble us, to get us all upset, to take away our joy, to take away our mind from praying, from worshiping God, from seeking his will. But the scripture here is encouraging us, don't be entangled, don't be so invested in the things of this world that when Satan comes to disturb them, you're disturbed too. You know, if you're not invested in something, if it goes bad, you've lost nothing. In fact, Paul said, listen, everything I've given him in Acts, I believe, uh, the 20th chapter, he says, I've lost nothing. Amen. There's nothing Satan can take from you if you've given it to God. Jesus said, no one can pluck anything out of his hand. So we have been given the comfort of knowing where we're going. Last week was the anniversary of my father's passing. And I, yes, I sorrowed, but in some respects I did not sorrow as those who have no hope because I knew where he was going. 
the Bible tells us that we have a better place, and that is heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if the earthly tent, that's our physical body, which is our house, is torn down through death, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our celestial dwelling. That's the amplified version. Now notice how Paul characterizes this. He characterizes this as a tent. And that's what it is, a tent. We are in a temporary dwelling place. When the children of Israel were uh, going through Egypt, leaving Egypt, they left not able to build anything permanent. They had to uh, they had to do with a tent. They were traveling. They had to be able to pack up and go. It was not a permanent place for them to be. And so we see that God has designed it so while we're here, we're to view what we're going through right now as just a tent. Amen? It's not permanent. It's, it's temporary. Hallelujah. That's why we see that the tabernacle journey, they were in a tent. On the journey, that's all you need. And that's why, although the tabernacle had some beautiful things, it was temporary. It was not, it was not to be compared to what was going to come. Amen. It was only to get them out of Egypt into the promised land. And that's what God wants us to, to understand, that it's, it's only temporary. That's what we're here to understand, that we are on a journey and when we're on a journey, you only need the tent. Paul in Second Corinthians make that, makes that clear. He says, but we have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, in that tent, though, although it was just made of skins, behind the curtain from the holy place to the most holy place was the very presence of God Almighty. And that was what was so important, was that it was the presence of God that made the tent glorious. Even though right now we are dwelling in a temporary tent, if you're filled with the Spirit, it's still a glorious tent. But it's not to be compared with what we're going to have. And that's why Paul likens it to just being a tent. Amen? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God so that everything we do is not from us because we have no uh, power in and of ourselves. It's an earthen vessel. And while we are in this tent, yes, we groan. The wind may come in underneath the flap, so to speak. Yes, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, a, a chore to have to, to pack it up and to take it. It gets old. It gets worn out. It's not very beautiful. For while we are in this tent, we groan being burdened. The Amplified Version says, often weighed down, oppressed. Not that we want to be unclothed, that is, separated by death. No, I'm not saying anyone wants to not have anything, uh, but why we have to wait. Separated by death from the body. But what we really want, he's saying here, is to be clothed, to be clothed so that what is mortal, the body will be swallowed up by the life after resurrection. That is, we're longing for our permanent dwelling place. Now, he who has made us and prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Holy Spirit as a pledge. In other words, the deposit that we're going to get the full 
permanent dwelling place. Amen. That's what God has called us to. And what I'm talking about is heaven. Because he has told us that we're going to be heirs and joint heirs with him. Uh, So when we arrive, what we get is not just the not just the the tent anymore but the house you notice once israel got into canaan one of the first things that the the king wanted to do that is david was to build a house when they first arrived the 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 ark of the covenant was still dwelling in tent but symbolically they built a house and that house was probably the most glorious building Uh, that mankind has ever built yet it pales into comparison from what god is going to do for us second corinthians 6 says so then being always filled with good courage and confident hope and knowing that while we are at home in the body we are absent from the lord for we walk by faith not by sight that means we can't yet see that that dwelling place that heavenly place except through faith living our lives in a manner consistent with our confident belief in God's promises. That's the way the Amplified Version puts it, that we are to live our life in a, in a confident belief in God's promises. Amen. That's what we're called to do, to live our life in a confident belief according to God's promises. See, everything that God has prophesied so far has come to pass. His first coming came to pass. We studied that Sunday all the prophecies And we know that the last things that are going to come to pass is we're waiting now, as Romans 8.20 says, for the revelation of the children of God. So what happens if we die now? Well, Scripture tells us that our body, the flesh, sleeps, but the soul returns to God. In 1 Corinthians 15.16, Paul is explaining this to the Corinthians because they don't understand the process. He says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. He's saying, listen, if Jesus did not raise and and, and we are not going to be raised, then our our message, our, 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 our religion, so to speak, our gospel message is in vain. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we have all men most miserable. But that's not what we have hope in. He says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. That means never to die again. That is the promise that we have, that because Christ is the first fruits, we also are going to reign and rise from the dead with him. The Bible says if we've been planted in the likenesses of his baptism uh, through his death, then we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection to the Thessalonians church he he wrote this but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep and that's how he phrases it because our body sleeps until uh, the change come uh, where it will be changed into that glorious body but our soul returns to the one who gave it he says I would not have you ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep that he sorrow not even as others which have no hope 1 Thessalonians 4.15 For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, meaning they're going to, to, to be resurrected with us. 2 Peter 3.4 says this, And saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, everything continues. Of course, 
those that are scoffers and unbelievers say, well, it's been thousands of years you guys been talking about his coming. Where is he? And that's when they will be surprised. His first coming was after thousands of years from the time of Moses, about 1800 BC, to the time of his coming. And yet, he came. Jesus said, not one word, nor one tittle, one crossing of the T, will pass away until all of my words be fulfilled. So as night follows day, we live in hope and the expectation that this is going to happen. That's why, as I said, uh, we're celebrating or, or about last week on December the 16th, my father passed away in 2011 and I, uh, the thought came to me about it. And, you know, on one hand, I miss him, but on the other hand, I know where he is. And because of that, we are, we don't have to be, uh, as sad as those who have no hope. Now, what is the procedure when we die? How does your soul actually get to heaven? Well, the Bible even tells us that. In Luke 16.22, Jesus tells the story. And maybe it's not so much a story because he gives names. And it came to pass the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abram's bosom. So the Bible indicates that your soul is escorted. You're not just left alone. You're escorted. Hebrews 11.1.14 tells us that the, the, one of the purposes of the angels... Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister? In other words, to serve for them who shall be the heirs of salvation. Mark 13, 27 also tells us that the angels are involved in our transfer. Then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. So our soul according to scripture, is escorted. Isn't that something? We see this actually um, symbolized in the Old Testament with the story of Lot. When uh, Abraham came and and, and negotiated with with, um, God about saving Sodom, the Lord sent two angels down into Sodom. What were they doing? They were to escort Lot out of Sodom. Let's read the scripture. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. And when the morning rose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest they be consumed in the iniquity of the city. We see here that the angels escorted Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, just as the Bible indicates that we will be escorted to heaven. Isn't that awesome? Verse 16, And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. So here we have an example of the angels delivering someone out of a place of destruction into a place of safety. And then, as I read before, we are escorted, the souls 
are escorted to a place of safety. And that place of safety, according to Revelation, is the altar until the redemption of the body. But until then, the waiting place in Revelation was the altar. Revelation 6, 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So there's many things that are uh, revealed to us here. First of all, those in heaven have some understanding of what's going on on the earth. But they were told that they needed to wait. Verse 11, And white robes were given unto them, unto every one of them, and it was said that they should they should rest yet for a little while, little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So if you die now, the Bible tells us, if you die in Christ, that you are blessed. You know, for the loved ones, it doesn't seem that way. But according to Scripture, if you die now, you are blessed. That's found in, in uh, Revelation fourteen thirteen. It tells us that. It says, Revelation fourteen twelve. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. If you die in the Lord, Scripture says you are blessed. For us who are remaining, uh, it is sad, but we know that if you died in the Lord, you're with the Lord. Amen. There is a sadness for us, but Paul explained, he said, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Amen. But he said, listen, I'm going to stay here because it's better for you. According to scripture, though, uh, if you were to die in Christ, that means you are, you are, you are, you're sealed. There's no more pain, no more suffering, no more temptation, no more dealing with, with issues, no more, uh, all of the things that we're still on earth dealing with. But God has let some of us stay here so that we can win others. It's, it would be selfish of me to want to go just like Paul. He said it would be better for you that he stayed because then he could preach to more people, witness to more people. And that's why God uh, has allowed the time to be so long till his coming so that more people can hear the message. In, in 1 Corinthians 5, 3 says, For I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath, done, hath so done this deed. Here Paul is speaking about a specific incident. And he's saying though in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, therefore we're always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He's saying, listen, if it was up to me, I'd be out of here. And I'm telling you this, with the way the world is going, maybe many of us would say the same thing. If, if you know where you're going, if you know where you're going, if you have confidence that to be absent from the body is to be present from the, with the Lord, then you would not fear death. Amen. Yes, we, we miss our loved ones. Yes, we would 
be sorrowful. But the Bible says we sorrow not as those that have no hope. Tonight, if you've been filled with the Spirit, if you have been baptized in His name, you have more than hope. You have a mansion. You have a promise from God. Now, we don't understand everything that's going on right now. We don't understand when God chooses someone to go and when uh, He chooses someone to stay. But we know that one day we will be all together. Amen. We will understand it one day. In Revelation 10.5, it tells us that, that one day the mystery of all the plans of God will be fully revealed. Revelation 10.5, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer. Now, it's translated time no longer, but what it means is there should be no more delay. Verse 7 makes it clear. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he should begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Paul Paul um, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even also, even as also I am known. See, the mystery of God, all the whys and questions we would ask Him, one day we will understand it. But we will only understand it if we get to heaven. We will only understand it if we can say like Paul, I have fought a good fight. I have kept, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. When we get to heaven, not only are we escorted, but the Bible says we are welcome home. We're not just in, put inside the house, but we, we receive a welcome. Amen. Matthew twenty five twenty three. His Lord said unto him, well done. Wow, wouldn't that be great? When God tells you, well done, when you hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. Tonight I'm encouraging you, whatever little things you're going through, be faithful to God in that battle, in that situation. Be faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Paul, again, in 2 Timothy 4.7, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Writing to Timothy, knowing that he was going to be executed. He wasn't fearful. In fact, he was, he was, he was almost proud of the fact that he had accomplished so much. He says, I have fought a good fight. If that can be your testimony tonight, if you can say, I have fought a good fight, I have kept the faith, what a testimony. What a, what a blessing to know that God can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Henceforth, in verse 8, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not me only. This is the part that I like. It wasn't just reserved for Paul, but unto all them also that love his appearing. That's the key. All them that love his appearing. I'm telling you that I'm loving his appearing. Amen. I want out of here. If it wasn't for the fact that God wants us to win the lost, and the Bible says that he would that none be lost, then even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. 
When we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we're going to see him, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The experience is going to be something else. In Revelation verse 4, chapter 4, sorry, starting at verse 1, we see the whole rapture event symbolized within John uh, the Apostle's vision. He says this, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, it were, was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. You see the symbolization of the door open and the trumpet, and then it's, Come up hither, the rapture event, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. Amen. The first thing we're going to see when we get to heaven is the throne of God. Amen. I think it was um, that great uh, bishop that wrote, I see a crimson stream of blood that flows from Calvary. Amen. When I think of heaven, I think of, of, of what Christ did and his sacrifice that allows us into his presence that we can now come boldly to a throne of grace. God has been so merciful. God has been so great. Amen. And he continues his vision and starts to describe the throne room of God. Amen. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper, that's a diamond, and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow around about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there was seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts or four creatures full of eyes before and behind. John here is trying to describe something of which he has no uh, earthly comparison to try and describe. He's trying to describe a sea of glass like of, of gold, a throne that is beyond words that can be comprehended. There are no human words that can describe heaven because it takes a, a spiritual body to truly um, encompass what he was trying to see. But he did his best to try and to describe the glories that are there. Paul said that... Uh, he saw things that were not lawful. He was caught up into the third heaven. And he saw things that were not lawful. He could not even really describe it. But here is the great thing. One day if we make it, heaven is just the, the, the marriage supper. God has always promised that earth would be his final dwelling place. And we see that heaven then comes down to earth in Revelation chapter 21. And I, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most, most precious, even like a jasper stone. He sees this vision of this city that is four square like a cube. And it gives the dimension of it, which is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Really like a, a moon, like a, another celestial body. And he sees this descending down and he describes it in great detail about the, the gates on each side. The heavenly Jerusalem. 
And he, this city is going to be dwelling or, 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 or sitting on earth. It's going to be sitting on earth. The city lieth four square. The city lieth four square. And the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. That's about 1,500 miles. And he measured the wall there of 140 and four cubits according to the measure of a man. That is of the angel. He's describing here again something that he can't quite put into human words. And this city is reserved only for those who are in the, the bridal party, who are in the, in the, uh, the, 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 the bride of the lamb, so to speak. And he goes on to describe all of the foundations of this glorious city. And 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. He can't even really put it into words. But here is the part that is so beautiful. And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Remember what I said, the dwelling place. Wherever God is, that's where the temple is. In the Jewish feasts, the very last feast was called Sukkot. And it commemorated when they dwelt in tents. For seven days they celebrate that feast every year. But the the amazing thing is that that symbolizes the final fulfillment of that feast is when God makes his tabernacle or tent with man. Verse 23, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. This is so amazing as I try and picture it in my mind what heaven will be like. But you know, there's only really one way in. There's only one way that we will be able to be part of the bride of Christ. Yes, you can be martyred during the tribulation, but you still will not be in the bride of Christ. Yes, you could have been an Old Testament saint and you will be resurrected. But to be the bride of Christ, there's only one way in. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. That's the key. The spirit has to come from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Matthew twenty-five thirty-four. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you before from the foundation of the world. What an awesome promise that God has for us. We can't see heaven with natural eyes. You see it through eyes of faith. You see it through believe on his word. You will receive it when that change comes. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to close this Bible study. But as we celebrate this month, his birth, his first coming, let us also look forward to celebrating his second coming and that kingdom uh, establishment, that heavenly home coming down from heaven. Amen.
wherever you are tonight, if you could pray with me as we close this Bible study and we will pledge that we will seek to be ready to love his appearing. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we ask you, O God, to help us to be ready to to go with you when that trumpet sounds. Lord, that when we are absent from the body, we will be present with you in your throne room. Hallelujah. We thank you right now for your word. Let it build faith, Lord God. We thank you for your blessings, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.